Well, good morning. I'm so glad you're here today. That's right. Especially if you're joining us online today. Hello, I see so many of you in person sometimes, and you'll say, hey, I'm watching online, I'm keeping up, and I say, that is great. That is great. Stick with this thing. Whether you're here in person, whether you're online, God is moving in us and through us, and it is good to be together. And I've got a fancy new whiteboard, so look out. Hey, we got some baptisms today. It's going to highlight some things, which is just uh, awesome. I guess it's Valentine's Day, right? Okay. Yeah, I was just reminded of that uh, about 29 years ago, ages me just a bit, <laughs> saved up all my money, and I went to the jeweler, and I bought an engagement ring. Everybody says, oh. And they had to educate me about the diamonds, what the four C's, the cut, the clarity, the color, carrot. I just remember the cost. <laughs> I just remember the cost. But here's what I remember about that experience. You know, I kind of had a certain price range in mind, and, and they, would, they would get the diamonds out. And what's a jeweler do? When the jeweler gets the diamond out, they'll put that diamond against a black cloth because that makes the diamond shine brighter. This morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that is the diamond of the Bible in many ways because it illuminates the gospel. It illuminates the gospel. And we've been in the book of Romans. If you're, if you're newer with us, we've spent the last couple of weeks slogging through some really hard passages in Romans. We've been looking at the, the, the darkness of our sin. In many ways, we've been looking at the black cloth. Our own depravity, our, our, our sin on the inside, our sin on the outside. And it's against that backdrop that the gospel, the good news, that Jesus defeated sin and death that he defeated sin and death, and he rescues all who believe in him. But for that diamond to shine bright, we've, we've looked at the darkness of our sin. And now we're going to get to some of the good stuff. We're going to let that light shine through. So I'm in a passage this morning that Martin Luther said was really the, the focal point of the whole Bible. Wow. So I come to this text this morning with, with great humility, knowing that in the time that, that we have together, I can explain a few things, and then I want to give you some steps that you can apply. For some of you this morning, you may, you may come across some, some words that sound familiar, but if you were really honest with yourself, you might say, I'm not really sure what that means. So you might get a little help. You might get a little instruction. Some of you may say, oh, this is familiar, and as you, you hear these words, you just say, yes, and you rejoice, and you're thankful. Some of you, this may just be brand new stuff, and it may be difficult, and that's okay because you're in good company. The apostle Peter himself, at the end of 2 Peter, he's talking about Paul's words, and he says, you know what? They're kind of hard to understand, <laughs> So if you have some trouble today, keep digging in and know that you're in good company. 
So as we shine this light of the gospel, this diamond of the gospel together, I think it's good to remember a couple things about where we are in the story. All right, we have the Apostle Paul. Paul is writing to this church in Rome that is a mix of both Jewish Christians. They've got all the heritage, all the tradition, and Gentile or Greek Christians who don't have all that. And there's conflict there, and he is trying to unite this church. And even as we think about our own time, and we think of this movement that Paul was about, as we get into the heart, the very core of the gospel, it's good to keep in mind Paul's mission. Because Paul was bringing together multiple groups. Paul's mission of sharing the gospel was the most multi-ethnic, multicultural movement in history. Think about that for a minute. All the different peoples that Paul would bring together. Paul says this in Galatians 3, 27. He says, For as many as you, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek they're neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. I want you to remember that today. In the world we live in today, that we cannot say that enough. We are one in Christ. So this morning we're going to dig in. We're going to see how salvation works, how we put these pieces together. And then I'll lead you in some steps that you can take. So let's, uh, let's pray before we we dig in this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that it's helpful. Jesus, we thank you that you are the author of our salvation. I pray that my words are clear, that they're helpful, and that above all, they bring you glory and honor and ask that you burn off whatever doesn't do those things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So here we are. We are in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. We're going to work through this. You're going to see some passages, some phrases that are highlighted that I'm going to try to explain because we need to shine the facets of that diamond. Paul starts off this way. He says, but now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now let's take a look at this for a minute. All this stuff about sin that we talked about last week, all the different ways... We have missed the mark. But now, two great words, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed. So there's a but now in the sense of the big story. The big story of the Bible, the big story that goes all the way back and looks all the way forward. The Old Testament points to Jesus, points to this moment. The New Testament will explain it all. But now, the righteousness 
of God has been manifested. It has been revealed. Now, we can't underestimate this moment. Put yourselves in the shoes of the church at Rome, whether you come from a Greek background, a Gentile background, or a Jewish background, this but now says this is a point in time where something new has occurred. But now, against the backdrop of all of our sin, the righteousness of God has been manifested. The righteousness of God has been revealed. What is the righteousness of God? In, in one sense, it is something that is on display. It is something we can see. Part of our process of growing in Christ is to see God clearly through our study of Scripture. But it is something on display. It is something we can see. It is God's holiness. It is God's perfect character. In another sense, it is something that has been given to us. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So in one sense, this, this righteousness from God has been on display. It has been given to us. The law and the prophets, the Old Testament, points to this moment. All the sacrificial system, all those things points to this moment. The righteousness of God has been revealed. But it is apart from the law. It has been given to us. Tim Keller, when he talks about the righteousness of God, says it is a validating performance record that opens doors. I want you to think about that for a minute. A validating performance record that opens doors. That is not of your own doing, but that it is from God. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now, let's talk about faith for a minute. What is faith? What is faith? Faith is more than simply an intellectual assent that says, yes, this is true. Faith is more than an acknowledgement of the facts. Faith is even more than an, an acknowledgement that says this is true. Faith is the act of trusting in what Jesus has done for us. That's what faith is. Let's continue. Now, I want you to think about your own faith journey for just a second. Some of you may have had that moment of clarity. You had this epiphany. You had this moment of insight where you said, oh, I get it. This is true. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust. Others of you, maybe it's this process. It's a back and forth. It is a wrestling match. Any, raise your hand if your faith journey has been a wrestling match at some point. Okay? That's okay. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's okay. 
God will work in different ways. Now, let's continue. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, what is sin? Sin is missing the mark. We have sins of commission. These are the, the, the things we have done wrong, both at the heart level and the external level. Right things with wrong motivation is sin. Here's the thing I was reflecting on with sin this week. When I look at my own sin, I tend to think it's very nuanced. <laughs> I tend to, I can rationalize, I can compartmentalize, I can minimize, I can contextualize. I can do all kinds of things with my own sin. Sometimes it's easier to look at other people's sin. It's very clear to me. But we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, God's perfect standard. It's the wrong things we have done. It's also the good that we have failed to do, the sins of omission. Taught English for lots of years, graded lots of papers, and I remember giving a kid a paper and, you know, gave him a C or something like that on the paper, and he was like, well, I, I don't see that I did that many wrong things. I said, yeah, you didn't, but you didn't do anything good in the paper. <laughs> so it's the good that we failed to do. It's the vulnerable we failed to care for. It's a long list of failing to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. We have all fallen short of God's perfect character. We talked last week about this justification swim as if getting a perfect record of being made right of being acceptable before God would be like a swim from the coast of California to Hawaii which is 2,500 miles and even the guy from Croatia that held the world record of 140 miles would still drown and fall short no matter our pedigree no matter our training whatever the case would be we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Now, let's continue, though. Verse 24, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's a lot in this passage. It's so concentrated. It's almost like frozen orange juice. I mean, it's just, it's all right there. Let's explain it a little bit. How does this work? What does it mean to be justified? It means to be declared righteous, to be made right before God. It is a legal declaration. It is something that says you are not guilty. You are not guilty. You are declared innocent. Whether Luther said it or not, some people uh, attribute this famous analogy to him that our life is like a, a, a pile of dung and it's dirty and it's smelly and it's, that's our sin. And justification is, is the gift from God, the freshly fallen snow that covers up our sin. 
So when God looks at us, he doesn't see the mess. He sees the perfect righteousness of his son that has been given to us as a gift. As a gift. What do you do to earn a gift? Nothing. Nothing. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption. Redemption is a financial metaphor. Justification is a legal standing. Redemption is a financial standing. It is a debt that has been forgiven. It is a debt that has been paid. That's what redemption was. It's a debt that has been paid. Now, here's the thing with a debt. Here's the thing with sin. Somebody has to pay. Somebody has to absorb that. And we know that's going to be in Christ Jesus. So when we say things like, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid the price for my sins. It's discussing the truth of redemption. That we all have a sin debt. Think about that. Think about your sin debt. Think about all that you have done, all that I have done, all that we have done. That is a sin against others. That is ultimately a sin against a holy God. Now, the good news keeps getting better. Let's go to the next verse. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received in faith. When's the last time you used the word propitiation? It's a big word. It's a theological word. It's a word we tend to shy away from even in the church. What is propitiation? It is a sacrifice that has been made to remove the wrath of God. Wrath of God, that doesn't sound very nice. We talked about the wrath of God a few weeks ago, and the wrath of God is God's personal anger, his hatred towards sin. So propitiation is a turning of wrath to favor. So when God looks at us, he is the anger of his feeling towards our sin. That has been removed. That has been set aside. God can now look at us with favor. Now, sometimes people look at this and they say, I, that, I just can't wrap my mind around a God like that. I have a hard time picturing that. And here's a couple things. I mean, we, we could talk forever about this, but I want to give you one thought. Our God is a personal God. A personal God. God is not an abstraction. God, our, our God is not the God of the deist who said you wind the world, you get things started, and then you take your hands off and you let it go. God is in the details of our lives. God has always met his people in the mess. 
I want you to think about that for a minute. God has always, God has not been afraid to dive in. This word propitiation, if you were the, uh, a Jewish Christian, you would be reminded of the Old Testament. You would think of the tabernacle. You would think of uh, the Ark of the Covenant. You would think of the Holy of Holies where the priest would go to make atonement, would sacrifice a lamb on the mercy seat right there. God would be present in the mess. So this propitiation, this concept of God being personally angered by our sin, and there needing to be a sacrifice to remove that wrath and that anger. And how does that come? That comes through Jesus Christ himself. This was not God's plan B. <laughs> God always had this in mind. God, is on, God knows it all. God knows the future. God knew that he would sacrifice his son. Oh, but what a beautiful picture. Now, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Forbearance is a delay. If you have a forbearance on, a, on your mortgage, that means it is delayed. It is not forgiven. It is not canceled. If your student loans are in forbearance, they are, the payment is delayed, but not canceled. It was to show his righteousness. Uh, I'm sorry, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Everything is pointing to this moment. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is just, God is perfect, God is holy. If you're just, you can't just look the other way on sin. Somebody has to pay the price. And he is the justifier, he is the one who has himself paid the price on the cross. He's the one who has paid the price himself on the cross. But he is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The one who has put trust in Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this for just a minute. Christ himself is the one who has declared us, who has taken that guilty verdict for us in a legal sense. He's paid our debt. He's the sacrifice. He is all these things, and we receive him by faith. Now, what do we do with all this? All right, Paul says this. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. Boasting. It's a declaration of power and authority. To boast about something is to give glory to something. 
By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. And since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. Now, what law are we upholding? I want to give you a contrast. I want to help you apply this for a second. Let's think about boasting for a second. We've got a choice. We all have a choice. What are we going to boast in? Well, I can boast in me. Anybody ever done that? This is the law of works. I can boast in me, or I can boast in Christ. This is the law of faith. It's a choice. We all have this choice to make. How are we going to live? Are we going to live with an attitude of boasting in my own self, my own works, or am I going to boast in Christ and live by the law of faith? Now, as I look, as I see, okay, first of all, as I look in and I see myself, if I look in, as I look in my own heart, as I look in the mirror, if I am boasting in me, what do I see? I see that I am not enough. TJ was talking about one winter weekend retreat. One of the activities the kids did was they, they, they went around and they said, when I look in the mirror, when I compare myself on social media, what do I see? How do I feel about myself? Heartbreaking, some of those responses. But they all came down to, I'm not enough. Even if I'm an all-star, even if I'm at the top, <laughs> there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of turmoil in trying to maintain that. If I boast in Christ, law of faith, I experience peace. Because it's not up to me. Now, if I look around and I look at my relationships, if I am boasting in me, I am always in the comparison and power game. Again, this is all about me. I'm boasting in me. It's up to me. I look at my relationships. How do I compare to you? If you get ahead of me, where am I? I give to get. It's transactional. If I boast in Christ, the law of faith, we're talking about love. If I look ahead, I look at my future. If I boast in me, I live by the law of works. I am dominated by fear. 
What if I lose my job? What if that diagnosis doesn't go the way I want it to? What if I actually lose this person? If I boast in Christ, the law of faith, I can live in confidence. Not in myself, but in Christ. That is the source of my confidence. So what I would invite you to do, take a look at this. How do you look in? How do you look around? How do you look ahead? What law governs the way you live? When we talk about living and breathing the gospel, what we're saying is it's not, it's not just a set of intellectual truths to say, yes, this is true, but it is a way to live my life. Now, the question is, how do I get from here to here? I like confidence more than I like fear. How about you? I like peace more than turmoil and anxiety. I like love a lot more than I like comparison and power. Are you with me? So how do I get there? How do I get there practically where maybe I grasp these terms, maybe I could pass a theology test, but how do I actually live in this space? Now, the good news is I don't have to do it alone. This is a path of isolation. This is a path of living with God. That I actually have the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit, <laughs> Core Beliefs class this past Wednesday spent 90 minutes talking about the Trinity. <laughs> God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit but the Spirit himself present at creation. Paul will say in, in, in 1 Corinthians that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I can't wait to get to Romans 8 and we'll talk about how the Spirit, the Holy Spirit reminds us that we are children of God. The Spirit is my guide. I don't have to do this alone. All right, but here's the deal. I have to come in faith. What is faith? I want you to do this. I want you to hold your hands out. This is what faith is. This is what faith is. Hold your hands out for a second. This is faith. I'm empty-handed. This is faith. Now, I come in humility. I come offering Nothing. But how many of you do this? Clinch that fist. How many of you are hanging on to, these are my works. These are the things that I consider to be most important, that I put above God. This is my performance record. This is my resume. And I got to do this. Some of us are here and we got to do this. But here's the thing, I met, met with a friend this week and he said, you know what, Jason, sometimes this isn't enough. I've got to do that. I can still hold on to the things 
that are between me and God. I can still hold on to the things that I'm using as my performance record, but I have to do this. I have to let go. So turn those hands over. Let those things go that you're boasting in. And when I do that, then I can receive. Then I can receive. By faith, by trust, I can receive what God has for me. I can receive the gift that is free. Now, this morning, we're going to come with open hands to the communion table. So I would invite you to take out the wafer, take out this little cup of juice. As we come with open hands, we think about Jesus being our redemption, our justifier, our propitiation. And we take out this little wafer and hold it in your hands, and this is what it represents. We remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, and after giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, and he says, take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. So may we receive the bread together. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup. He says, this cup is, represents my blood, my propitiation. This is the blood of the new covenant. This is the blood that is shed for the forgiveness of our sins. This is what justifies us. This is what redeems us. This is what saves us from God's wrath. So may we receive the cup together. God's word tells us that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death and we look forward to his return. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for what the bread and the cup represent. Father, as we wrap our minds around these big ideas about what you've done for us as we try to see clearly the diamond of the gospel against the backdrop of our sin, against the backdrop of our broken world, we say thank you. And we ask now through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you guide us, would you remind us, would you pursue us as only you can? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.